He doesn't plan on writing a book to chronicle all his incredible experiences over the past 50 years covering Minnesota sports. But we've convinced him to do something even better. To share his greatest stories in auditory form right here. We wanted to call this a prairie home curmudgeon. But legal next it. So we proudly present the best stories from the mind of Patrick Royce, titled Royce Rambles. Here's Judd Zulgad. And welcome to another edition of Royce Rambles, which was on hiatus, Patrick, for a few weeks here, a few <laughs> months, but we are back. And it is World Series time, and there is plenty, of course, to discuss from your rich history in covering sports and the World Series. Uh, yes, there yeah. is, and uh, it is, uh, it's been a long time, but we're both hardworking guys, and we're not as young as we used to be, especially me. So uh, that's it. But, right uh, behind you. Patrick. It was uh, watching the fantastic game two mm-hmm. uh, last night, uh, or last, so this can tell you when we're taping this podcast. Uh of last night uh, it reminded me of all the great World Series games I had a chance to cover, and uh, it, I've covered twenty four in a row from eighty one through uh, two thousand oh five, and then missed one two thousand six, which was terrible, and then two thousand seven. I so I covered twenty five, okay. but uh, watching the Astros leap in front only to blow it in the bottom of the ninth. And then leap in front again and then give up another run. It caused me to flash back to Juan Hun Kim, the Arizona pitcher, who I became. I started, you know, he'd been the closer for the Diamondbacks in 2001, kind of came out of nowhere yep. and went back to nowhere. But I started calling him Hang Him High, Hang Him High Kim uh-huh. because two nights in a row. The Diamondbacks had him beat, and he gave up home runs in Yankee Stadium, and that place was absolutely nuts. And I hated him uh, because I had to rewrite everything mm-hmm. two nights in a row. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about print journalism, and it still is in my opinion, is the uh, you know how athletes get the, the pain in the pit of their stomach when they're competing? Yep. I'm not. Saying this is anywhere near the same, but as you know, as a longtime news, newspaper guy, you get that pain in the pit of your stomach <laughs> on deadline, right? Yes. Are we going to make it? Yeah. Are we going to make yes. it? Yes. And then some guy comes in and gives up home runs in back-to-back games, and it's painful, but it's wonderful, too, to have to change everything on the fly and have a certain addition. Now, that said, even... Fifteen years ago, you weren't dealing with the games as long as they are now. It's almost impossible for print guys now. Be with you know that two twenty eight game on Saturday in Game One was like a miracle. Right. Last night was more normal, uh, four nineteen or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's it, it, writing on World Series on uh, on uh, deadline, of course, is something you deal with for I've dealt with for fifty years, but. Doing it, for some reason, the World Series always seemed to be the place where things changed dramatically when you thought you had it had it figured out. And uh, and last night when I made the reference about Buon uh, Han Kim, uh, my friend Bob Dutton, who used to be in Kansas City, said uh, on Twitter, he said, I'll always recall... City next to you in Game Six and the Angels. You know the Giants were going to win their first World Series ever in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and then Scott Spezio hit the home run, and 
The angels rallied to win, and he said, you turned around and looked at me. You were both hacking away uh, frantically and said, there's no game that can bleep you like this one. <laughs> you know, so it's yep. it's uh, that's sort of my recollection of the of the great World, <laughs> World Series. But yeah, I always loved covering it, and uh, it was uh, e- even though it certainly got more and more grueling because of the times of game and the fact they kept pushing back the starting times and things like that. And now you got your websites though, so like sure. like you can oh, yeah. like the newspaper is part of your responsibility, but you could always I mean if you had been at Dodger Stadium last night, you could have worked till whatever time. Oh sure. But the finality of the newspaper yes. being it was a completely even, different animal. Even in uh, I'm trying to think of when the newspapers started really putting emphasize, emphasis on sending them a rewrite for it. I, I don't think it was, I think it was like 04, 05, yeah. somewhere. I think it's a decade ago. I don't even think early in the 2000s. It wasn't, for sure. Was this, uh, I don't know if they had anybody to put it online. At, uh, you know, it was, if you didn't make print, it was, you know, we always stayed for the game, but if right. you didn't make print, although I'm wondering... Uh, I am wondering if uh, we we make the same because of the online. I don't think the newspapers, the Star Tribune, any others has the same dedication to getting something in the print edition. I would no agree. matter how late it is at night. Yes, and that's that's the difference. The, mm-hmm. the that deadline of you have to have something in by let's say. Twelve fifty a.m. Yes, that was That's it. it. That We're was done. it. We're dead. Everybody went home. Yeah. So, like, if you found a mistake, <laughs> yes. like if you went back to your hotel yes. room, you didn't. There was until the morning. It was over. Yeah, and uh, there was nothing you could do to change. I mean, you could nothing. go online and change it, but back then, ninety percent of the people were reading. You know, fifteen years ago, were reading it in print. So, so where, where did that? Where did Game Two of this series, which was fantastic? Where does that rank among your oh, I great think, World I, Series? I games? think I, I went back thirty years uh, to when the Twins won their first one. Yep. But eighty six is the eighty six game six is the greatest game I ever saw. The Buckner game, the the the, the, the Ache. because Boston was going to win for the first time in what was then sixty eight years, and that was the you know the the Red Sox and the Cubs. Man, were the two. And they were going to finally win it, and uh, and you know they Dave Henderson hit the hit the big clock at in Shea Stadium that was like right almost right behind the he hit it right down the line, and it went over and hit the big clock. Yep, that said eleven fifty nine p.m. Mm-hmm. and it was midnight, and I'm thinking <laughs> Paul Revere midnight ride. The great, the most famous midnight ride in New England since Paul Revere. Yep. And there was still a guy in the Star Tribune. So it's eleven o'clock at night, and we still had the library staffed. <laughs> no kid. And I didn't know there was no online to the go. The listeners to. might not appreciate how no. rich that is. Oh, that yeah. the library we, was still staffed. You know, we at had our library staffed. Now we got poor Johnny Wareham. But uh, yeah. But I. Uh, Get on the phone, and I said, "Okay, give me the full detail. Read me the first two paragraphs on out of an almanac or, or an encyclopedia on Paul Revere." Because I didn't, you know, I didn't. Right. There's nowhere to look at midnight. There was no online. Yeah, you couldn't Google it. So I did the whole Paul Revere 
you know, most famous midnight ride, blah, blah, blah. You know, one if by one if by land, one if by sea, two if by Hendo or something, you know, high, you know, yeah. kind of a hokey, but I loved it. It was wonderful. Nobody ever saw it because they, of course, didn't win the game. <laughs> they, they, right. Uh, they end up losing the game in the bottom, you know, that the Reds, the Red Sox tie it and then, and then win it in uh, extra innings. So, and the Buckner thing and the whole thing. But, uh, that was the only time I ever prayed for a rainout uh, because that game had ended. We ended up getting something in the paper of who won, but it was complete, you know, hogwash. But the mm-hmm. the stories that came out of that game and what happened in the clubhouses, you know, because we went down to the clubhouses because we were done, you know, the print edition. There was nothing to still be hacking. Sure. You just sent something when the game ended, but uh, we went down and the stories coming out of the clubhouses and the stands and everything about the the amazing comeback and uh, the whole deal, you know, it was just just fantastic. I think the one I remember is uh, Peter Gammons was saying this, so, you you know, I'm not sure if you should take it with a grain of salt or not because Peter had a vivid imagination, but... uh, but his story was how, and you could see it, all the Red Sox wives. Mm-hmm. You remember the Twins' wives with the whistles and the whole thing? Was that 87, I think? Yeah. Well, in 86, the wives of Boston and the families, they were all together, and they, they had good seats back then. You know, they, the, back then, the families sat downstairs, and you could see them all jumping up and crazy. They're going to win the World Series, blah, blah, blah. And, and Rich Gedman was their catcher. And he was a New England guy, and he had a New England wife. And the legend that Gammons was spreading was that while all the other wives were up celebrating, she had her she had her head down praying a rosary as a New England as a lifelong New Englander. Really, knowing that she wasn't going to celebrate until there were three outs and they'd won, and she was like down there. I mean, that there were stories like that. <laughs> Floating around, and we got a rain out on Sunday, so you could all, you could really write vividly about the game the night before, right? You know, rather than that was one of those look back, don't look ahead moments, you know, because yes. you hadn't had a chance, and and all anybody in the country, all any baseball fan in the country was talking about was Game Six. They weren't worried about Game Seven. What did you do at, at the time with Buckner too? I mean, because that was obviously a huge play, but it came, it didn't come well, early. People always thought that it. Uh, that they uh, would have won. The game was already tied when he booted it. You know when he let it go. They'd already. Bob Stanley's wild pitch, remember, mm-hmm. was uh, was tied. Scored the tying run. They mm-hmm. brought in. They had no bullpen. <laughs> they had no bullpen. I remember hard Tom Hardwickard from Milwaukee. If you've been in the press box, you've heard Tom. You know he's louder than me in the press box. <laughs> he's great, and and the Boston was. Within a strike of winning the World Series here, even though their bullpen was terrible, they had Calvin Chiraldi. Remember, he was. I their, remember he Calvin was their closer, yeah, and just a bunch of nobodies. And they put Steamer Stanley out there for the postseason, and he was, you know, kind of no longer one of their important starters. And now it's the ninth inning, and the, here come the the uh, the horses, the New York. Uh, cops come out with their horses to keep the crowd back and to keep control. And there's two horses out in the bullpen, out in the uh, Red Sox bullpen. 
And this is their, this is because in anticipation of the Red Sox winning, you know. And uh, Articord, Cardricord gets up and screams, look, there's more horse bleep in the Red Sox bullpen than usual. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, that was sort of the fun of the World Series because everybody was asleep and quiet. And, uh, but, yeah, that was, uh, that was great. Uh, it would have been fun last night uh, to try to put that thing into words. I, I kind of felt sorry for people trying to a- accurately depict what happened. But it, baseball can just bore the living hell out of you. We, day after day after day, but when it's great, it's great. It really is, yeah. yeah you know, yeah, because it builds up, and it, you know, it's slow, and it's it's. Uh, well, and then like like in game two of this series, it totally screws you if you're trying to write on deadline because you get oh, the wait. Astros go ahead, Red Sox and win, Astros yeah. go, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. The worst moment ever, though, when it comes back to life, mm-hmm. was Gibson's home run, game one. Now that's only game one, but. Uh, that was, they used to play though, you know, you know, the world series game always played on, I think that was Saturday night then, right? Yeah. For years. Saturday Saturday night. Night. Yes. Yeah. I think that's right. And we were up in the third deck in the, uh, auxiliary box. I usually spent the time up there and the, you know, we always ended up getting in the auxiliary box most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the column, the beat guy, when we were covering it with two guys, the beat guy get in the regular box and the columnists were in the, in the, uh, auxiliary. We're up in the third deck, and now the A's are going to win. But and it's the game is moving along well enough, so there's a chance to get to the clubhouse and get a couple of things. You're not even looking for quotes as much as seeing, you know, just sure. some, just some little nugget that you can provide to let people know you were at the game, you know, beyond watching it on TV. Right. And so I'm downstairs, and they got you know, in Dodger Stadium, they have like those boxes that are down behind home plate, and they're like. And there, there's seats down there, you know, and there's a little section almost half underground. And I'm behind I'm home plate waiting for the game to end, waiting for Eck to get his three outs in about eight pitches, like what we expected. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing on my tiptoes, which isn't much, but enough so I can see. But there's I'm behind probably – people are probably five deep down there sitting behind the – because it's L.A., they all want to get out anyway. Right. And I'm sitting there, and I got everything written. I got, like, I got oh. to add one graph to this. <laughs> I got a, a column and a gamer written. Yep. written and, but they're both waiting, like, one little touch-up, you know, one sure. little graph. He hits that home run, I haul, and I'm, I'm full-figured then, man. I'm hauling against the crowd. I'm hauling my fat arse up, like, three flights of ramps to get upstairs and— Oh, so you had to get? Oh yeah, I couldn't stay now. No, no, no. Know? But I mean, you you didn't have a, a way to get up there besides going up no, the ramps. No, the only thing you can do is oh. go up the ramps. Yeah, I'm I'm fighting the crowd. They're all going nuts. They're all happy. I'm trying to push three hundred pounds through the aisles, and uh, oh man, that was the worst. That was the worst. And then you get there and you're going. <laughs> And trying to say, okay, now what am I going to say? Well, and you used to do, like like you just said, because I, I recall being on the copy desk, you used to do a column, a gamer, and the notes. Notes were usually pregame stuff. Sure, yeah. but my point is you, yeah. you were juggling at least two different stories at the same time. Yeah. So it wasn't just a column where you touched up the column a little bit and were off the hook. Yeah. It was, that was two uh, slugs. Yeah, but it was always uh, it was always fun. There was always uh, crazy you know, crazy stuff. One of the games I I love the '93 Phillies. I uh, I I was 
Rogosi and I were buddies, the Philly manager. Pod was his pitching coach, and Pod and I, Johnny Padres and I were real tight. To the point that, you know, they they didn't let the media in the club. They were had started not letting you in the clubhouse. They just doing that thing. But I got to go in because Pod, Pod invited me in, and I was in there BSing with right. him and Rogosi two hours, you know, three hours before the game and stuff, and it was great. But it, they were also crazy, you know, Dalton and Mitch Williams <laughs> and Truck mm-hmm. and uh, Dykstra on know, it. Dykstra, yeah. I mean, they were nuts. And then they had Izzy. They had Jim Eisenreich too. Yep. And it was the great redemption story, you know. The way I mean, we done it some because he had his redemption in Kansas City, but Izzy's going to win the World Series. So that was great. But the one I remember, everybody, of course, remembers the Joe Carter home run. But the one I remember is the fifteen to fourteen game. I remember in Philly, it was like I vaguely game remember, four, maybe yeah. it was fifteen to fourteen. There was a rain delay during it. How how but, long was it? Uh, what was it the was it probably three and a half? <laughs> now now oh, she'd be it'd five be seven. It'd be seven. It'd be seven. Now, first of all, they would have changed pitchers fourteen yeah. times. But yeah, it was. Uh, but I remember that fifteen fourteen game was like that was one of those like okay, Philly's gonna win. Oh, oh but, you know that was one of those you changed everything. But, right. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, I've always enjoyed writing it simply because I've I've said it's like golf in the sense that there are two characters. There's the athletes and there's the venue. Mm-hmm. In golf, more so than baseball, but baseball is still, you know, ball parks are unique, right? Parts of the story. There's no other sport, you know, a basketball. Yeah, a football arena. stadium has very little <laughs> yes, character. A basketball arena, hockey yes. rink. They're, you know, I mean, some of them are wonderful and historic and stuff, but they don't have different dimensions. I mean, you don't cover a playoff game and see a guy hit a pop fly like Todd Fraser did in every ballpark and have it be a three run homer that ended up beating Cleveland basically. Yes. So what was the uh, beat, uh yeah. eighty nine earthquake, what was that like? Well that was interesting. I was sitting next to Tom Powers uh from the St. Paul paper and we were again upstairs, third deck and uh in the auxiliary right behind the home plate. And uh beautiful. Blue bluest day you ever saw. Nothing going on, you know, and it's only what five o'clock out there because it was yeah. seven o'clock first pitch seven, yep. and they were they, and all of a sudden I think we'd already introduced, we'd already introduced the teams, and I think we'd already done the anthem, and it was there was kind of like a seven eight minute last TV delay going on, mm-hmm. and you felt this shaking and you know powers is from Rhode Island and I'm from here no not a lot of earthquake experience yep and he says what the bleep's that and there's a jumbo jet great big you know the airport's right out there by the old candlestick ballpark and he said uh, what's that and I pointed up to the jet I thought maybe it was a back thing and then by the time I pointed up there the thing was shaking Okay. And he said, that ain't no bleeping jumbo. That ain't no jet backlash or whatever the word would be. And uh, whip. And uh, then then I think they say it only lasted 17, 18 seconds. Mm-hmm. Seemed like five minutes. Did it? It really does. It really did. I mean, that's a cliche, but it did. And she went, ooh, we were waving. And, uh, and then when it stopped, 
finally kind of shuddered to a stop. And all these San Franciscoans, you know, the, all the Bay Area people that were sitting up there behind us in the boonies, you know, way up at the top, mm-hmm. let out this huge cheer. And then the whole ballpark cheered uh, that we'd survived. But then everybody started looking around and seeing the electricity was out. The lights, the lights had been on for no reason, but they were on. Right. And the scoreboard and everything had gone. Now, now for a while, the scoreboard... I think the scoreboard was up for a while because people were people were seeing that the Bay Bridge had collapsed. You know that the Bay Bridge had collapsed, and then they started showing those fires and down in the Marina District. Then mm-hmm. everybody knew this wasn't we weren't going to play ball. That's for that's for sure. And then all the players went out on the field, and their wives came out of the stands and were like Terry Steinbach's wife was out there with them in the middle of the field, and she oh. was weeping and terrified and. I don't know. I don't think, even though you kind of felt the last few seconds like you were going over, I don't think I was ever terrified by it, but it was uh, it was quite the experience. I called my wife, you know, because the phones, were, we all had, you know, no cell phones then. We, right. all, had, we all had ordered phones. Mm-hmm. So there were 300 guys and gals upstairs with phones. So mm-hmm. there were 300 phones up there. Mm-hmm. And I picked up my phone. It was still working. And I called my wife, and this was after it was over, and you didn't know what if this thing was going to collapse or not, you know, because it had shaken. And then you saw the Bay Bridge and everything. And I said, honey, I just want to know. I just want to know. I just want you to know it's been great, and I love you, dear. And uh, she said, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> and she basically hung up. And she had a couple of friends over just, having a couple of drinks on a Saturday night and says, that was strange. Patrick called, blah, blah. He's never done that. And uh, <laughs> they weren't watching a the game. They had no, had no idea, idea what, what was happened. going on. And then they finally, she said, I wonder if something's going on with that game he's at. And they found the game and saw that they had the earthquake. So you didn't volunteer of the fact that you had just. Well, no, she kind of hung up on me. She didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, she thought, oh, she thought it was just like right before the game started. I just called to say. What'd you write? Or, well, and how'd you was, file? Well, uh, I we we all went down to this room. We left the they they threw us out of that deck, mm-hmm. and then we all went down to this kind of like auxiliary press room that still had a light in it, and we were writing in there. And then they threw us out of there. And it, but luckily, it was the Radio Shack era, oh. where you could write with batteries. You didn't need yep. electricity. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to write. I, there was no longer any communication with the office because now the phones, my phone had gone out and uh, there was no real communication with the office. So I just thought I'd write something on the scene. And I went downstairs and out in the back of the stadium, the uh, ABC had all their stuff set up and they had some lights and they had these big trunks and stuff outside. Mm-hmm. And I just stood there and wrote something on the trunk here, on the trunk there, I don't know, 25 inches of copy on, uh, you know, kind of setting the scene and what I'd run, ac- run across in that time. I, I, I'd have to go back and look. And they there was one payphone there, and there were guys lined up 25 deep 
trying to dictate their columns back to the office. And mm-hmm. I said, well, this isn't going to work. So I, there was a security guard there, but he, he was distracted. So I went up the ramps, went the, back up to where the phones were, and up in the third deck, because then it was pretty apparent it wasn't going to collapse. And I started picking up phones, and I found one that was alive, probably the 10th one was alive, and I just did the hookup with the Radio Shack and sent it. And then when I went to call the office, it was dead after that. So I never even knew until the next morning that they actually got something. And it did get in, right? Yeah, it got in. Yeah, it wow. got in. And, uh, you know, but I had no I had no contact with them after that and went back to the – I was staying at the embassy. Luckily, I wasn't staying downtown in the in the media hotels. I was staying at the embassy suites out at the airport. Mm-hmm. So I could get there. And uh, – I grabbed it. I got a. There were some cabs hanging around. I grabbed a cab. He took me down there, and it was out by the airport. And we got there, and that was dead. You had. To, I was a. I was on the eighth floor. I had to haul up and walk upstairs, but the room was dark. Everything was dark, and uh, and uh, you know, I get, then the next morning, I guess I got. I can't remember. Somehow, I got in contact with them the next morning, and they wanted me to go over to Oakland. Mm-hmm. So I went over to Oakland, where the bridge collapsed, and. But the only the Bay Bridge obviously was closed, and the Golden Gate Bridge was miles away. So I went south, and I think it was the Dumbarton. Went across the Dumbarton, drove up to Oakland, and as I was on the Dumbarton, they were saying, "We're going to close the Dumbarton because uh, right because they, they found cracks in that too." So, but I went up there and wrote, ran into a bunch of where the bridges collab had. Collapse there, the deck, not the bridge, the freeway decks had collapsed. And right. Wrote something, called them back, found out we were sending out three reporters on that night mm-hmm. and got on a red eye and came home, you know, and went back a week later. And then you went back through. for the end of the series. But I knew that you knew they weren't going to, by then you knew that right. they weren't going to play anytime so soon. The, if there was, remember all the people writing all the righteous columns about, they should have just called this thing off. They shouldn't play. Uh, yeah, you know the A's had won the first two games, and then, but a week later, it was it was kind of like a healing, just like New York after nine eleven, just like the Astros after right, uh, just like the Astros. It was kind yeah. of a healing for the area to start the World Series up again. The diversion. Unfortunately too. for the Giants, the only two pitchers they got to see were Dave Stewart and Mike Moore because <laughs> <laughs> they had a week week apart. So they those two nasty SOBs, uh, they didn't get a sniff against them. So, so your favorite, is your, your favorite off-the-field stuff from a series still your first one? Still that Dodgers-Yankees in 81? Oh, yeah. With the George and all that, that stuff? That was great, yeah. it was. Remember, that was a strike year. Yes. And... Uh, you know, you end up with the Yankees and the Dodgers. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, George was at the height of his craziness then. Uh, uh, it was, George was at the height of his craziness then. And uh, uh, so they win the first two, everything's fine, in New York. Go out to L.A., they lose three in a row, Winfield can't get a hit. Winfield finally gets a hit the fifth game and asks for the ball. It's ended up getting ridiculed like hell. But then George gets in the fight on the ele- on the you know allegedly on the elevator yeah. when the people were de- defaming New York City and he had to fight fight for the honor of New York City. That became the tabloid story. And of course, I've always told you about the Lee Montville column, who wasn't even there, the Boston Globe about 
It was like on the seventh floor, <laughs> the sixth floor that George claimed to have gotten in this fight at the Wilshire Hotel there that's right next to the park yep. downtown, not far from the ballpark. And, uh, and, and he wrote this column about how he and George kicked the hell out of some Nazis on the second floor and kicked the hell out of a biker gang on the third floor. And I, I don't know. We didn't have terrorists then, but whatever. He he had floor five, by floor. He, he had kept... five floors of them kicking the crap out of bad guys. Then he said, "Then I don't know what happened. I got <laughs> off. <laughs> don't know how, George. It was hysterical. I kept it for about fifteen years. I I lost it. I, I talked to him the other day uh, about two months ago. I was looking for something. I had to talk to him. I was trying to. I was doing that thing on ESPN and Chris Berman, and I swear to God, Sports Illustrated. Montville, a freelance piece about checking into a hotel in the like the first year of ESPN, mm-hmm. watching this novel, crazy thing that yep. twenty the these silliness of twenty four hour sports and Australian roost football and uh, oh yeah all the, all the just, garbage the, they the used worst to show. crap that they if it wasn't for college basketball they would have never made it because it was the only thing that they yes. nobody else was doing it so they they did it but but it was hysterical but I can't find it I couldn't find it in the SI vault I couldn't find any references to it so then I tried Inside Sports maybe I thought I saw it do you remember Inside Sports I used to and get it, Inside and Sports it, which was great and. Wasn't there, so I finally used. I don't have Montville's number, but I ended up getting it. And I called him, and I said, "Yeah, no." He says, "I don't remember it." <laughs> I says, "Really?" <laughs> I said, "You wouldn't remember spending two days in a cheap hotel room." Yeah. I said, "Well, who the hell wrote it?" He said, "I don't know what you're talking about." He says, but we had a nice chat because he's my all-time hero as a columnist, even though he's the same age as me, but he. You know, he walked away from the globe, but he he was the greatest. But yeah, that was great. And then we get back anyway, back to eighty one. Yeah, they've now lost three in a row, and Winnie gets a death threat. That was a big story. Winnie got called in his hotel in L.A. on before Game Five and mm-hmm. got a death threat. Mm-hmm. And then that story comes out. So when by the time we get back to New York, Winnie's death threat is like a big story. Uh, and the post, I think it was the post, could have been the Daily News, uh, had the front page says, Yank, Yank death threats. Because supposedly Cerrone got one, too. I don't know why they were mad at Rick Cerrone, but okay. Yank death threats, because he might have defended Whitty or something. Sure. Yank death threats. And then on the back, when you flipped it around, the back was Fear Grip Stadium. <laughs> It was great, and I was because it was you know I'd seen the New York tabloids a lot when I'd been there on twin strips and stuff, but they were at their they were at their zenith. Oh, the the headlines were. And then uh, then Tommy John starts, and the Yankees you know he gets knocked around, and the Dodgers is clear going to win the World Series, and uh, and George was nuts, and crowd was booing everybody and mad and hostile because they they were. Convinced they were going to sweep the series, and they ended up losing in six. And mm-hmm. George, George was holding court after every game, and he called Winfield Mister May, and which uh, great line. By oh way. yeah, but it was, uh, it was, uh, it was fantastic. And in uh, New York, I got to sit next to Red Smith. That was good too. Really? Yeah, in the little auxiliary box right next to the main box. Red was in the auxiliary box, huh? 
Yeah, he was, uh, you know, old columnist in for the Times. Sure. And was the kind of guy that, he was not the kind of guy that would, uh, unlike some other really aging columnist in this town, were, he would not ask for great favors. There were some without a big ego at one yeah, time? Yeah, that was. I uh, wouldn't know what that he, is. He, he, was, I wouldn't, he was fine about that. Uh, but, yeah, that was that was good. Although I've told that story, too. The uh, We had those Texas Instrument computers. You never had to deal with those. No. They no. were like typewriters. Yep. Except they had two couplers on them that looked oh, like bras. John Rowe had one. No, well, no, he right? had the, uh, the electronic ones. These were like typewriters, and you had to take rolls of paper. Oh, okay, them. no, this okay. St. Paul. These were the cheap. This was. I've always said. This was when the computer age started. There was a class system. There were the guys from the New York Times and the L.A. Times and the Chicago Tribune and the Star Tribune who had porta bubbles, mm-hmm. nice electronic computers, and they did have the coupler upstairs, but it wasn't attached. It wasn't attached like a brassiere to the top of the computer, <laughs> like the top of the typewriter. And then they were, and they were expensive. Yeah, they were like eight grand a piece. And then you had all of us guys at the Porsche newspapers who had these. Piece of dung, he, uh, you know, heavy typewriter like instruments where you had to put a roll of paper in them, mm-hmm. you know, to see your copy. Oh and yeah, it, no, I never saw. And this. if you made a mistake, you had to go to the line above the above the one you were typing on and go all the way back to where the mistake was oh. to retype it, which on deadline was not fun. So the Texas Instruments, but, and they were terrible. There was always something wrong with them. They were sensitive. But I plugged mine in in this auxiliary press box, mm-hmm. and I don't know, game one and two was okay. I got back for game six. Every time they put a message on the scoreboard, my my computer would run out gibberish, like, Ten, like sixteen Ws or something <laughs> like that, you know, and and there was no place else to plug in. They didn't have, you know, right. so it'd go, I'd be hacking away and it'd go. <laughs> I don't know how the hell. Was it at a World Series where you threw your other computer in the freezer or refrigerator? No, that was uh, yeah, Miami. Suits is the best though. Suits eighty one. Yeah, eighty one Super Bowl. Uh when was that? Was a strike? What strike? You, uh, no, eighty-two. Detroit. What was the first year in Detroit? 82. Eighty-one. Eighty-one game. Eighty-two yeah. season. Yeah. Uh, Eighty January eighty-two. January eighty-two. Yeah. Such legendary. His wasn't working. He tipped. He kind of gave it a boost over the edge of the, the oh. thing, and it went crashing down. So that was it for that. Yeah. Anyway, but the one in Miami was the. Uh, <laughs> What happened in Miami was that uh, my computer started overheating, and I was in the auxiliary box. This is during Game Seven, Jose Mesa game. Yeah, and it would it was like burning up, and there was a this was a the football press box, and it had a a big walk in freezer there for stuff. It was like a, next to a hospitality suite too, and like every time during the every time between innings, I'd go in and. Put it in the freezer for like five minutes. You could have been, a, you could have been a tech guy. You could have been early to turn it on and off, yeah, and if well, not, put it in the not, freezer. And then Mesa, of course, blows blows that game, and you have to rewrite everything oh. about that game too. But the World Series has been uh, great, uh, great fun. That's for sure. 
All right, we'll do this again soon. We promise, okay? Uh, all right, the World Series. Keep watching it, folks. It's, uh, you know, get let's bring America back to the World Series, dang it. Did you know that 61% of pet owners feel more prepared to be a good pet parent after testing with Embark? Embark your dog with Embark's dog DNA test to get hundreds of actionable health insights. You can be proactive with their health and work with your vet on a personalized care plan. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today.